Good morning, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I welcome you to this day of worship, Sabbath, and celebration. As we edge ever more into the fall, we are reminded again that this is God's world, and for that, we give thanks. So I invite you to join us as we celebrate and worship today our God of joy, grace, and love. Come on in. Our first scripture is from the book of Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with two they covered their faces and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, Your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the book of Romans. That is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We are in chapter 12, uh, chapters 1 through 8. I will go to 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, 
and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was once a man named Count Zinzendorf who was traveling through Germany on his way to Paris. While there, he went into an art gallery to spend an hour or two admiring the works of some of the great masters. When he came to the picture of Christ on the cross, he stood transfixed before the scene as he read the words the artist Steinberg had chosen to interpret the painting with. All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? It was a turning point in the Count's life. He abandoned his plans to visit Paris and returned home and consecrated himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He devoted all that he was and all that he possessed to the master's service and became the founder of a group deeply devout of, of deeply devout Christians called the Moravians. It was a group of Moravians who in turn witnessed to a young Anglican priest by the name of John Wesley. Wesley's ship was being tossed by a terrible storm, and the quiet, sure faith of these Moravian people greatly affected him. He knew that they had something he didn't have. What they had was an absolute dependence on the providence of God. When Wesley later attained that same assurance, he became a mighty spokesman for God and the founder of the Methodist faith. So this morning we are gathered. This morning is Consecration Sunday. What exactly does that mean? In that little story, the Count, after being convicted through his watching or God speaking to him through this work of art, consecrated his life to God. All it means that is that that was set aside for God's use given to God so that God may bless it for the ways that God's plan would use it. Consecrated his life. Today we are following up in our stewardship series. This is, again, Consecration Sunday. So at the time of the offering, we will ask that you prayerfully consider your gifts on your pledge cards for 2022 about how we can consecrate, that is, to give back some of what God has given to us to God, of which the church directly benefits. But I'll talk some more about that in a minute. Today's scripture from both Isaiah and from Romans talk to us about what it means to give, to respond, to sacrifice. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to this church that we have an ongoing sense. They are struggling to come together as a community of faith. Think about it. It is Jews and Gentiles trying to all do something new together. Think about the Jews in the thousands of years of their faith history now coming in and saying, no, that's not 
really what we're doing anymore. Think about those Gentiles. We see them as being pagans or not having faith, but they had faith of their own no matter what they were worshiping. It wasn't God, wasn't the God of Israel. They were bringing all of that and under them, under the same roof to then find a way forward. You think the conversations are difficult now? Think about then. What if some of our Muslim friends shut down their mosque and said, you know what? I like what First Presbyterian Church is doing. I like this Jesus character. We want to be more like him. We're going to come and let's say a hundred of them came in. And let's say our Jewish friends, the same, came in here. Now we have three groups with different pasts and we're all trying to figure out how to be a body of Christ together. And our Muslim friends might say, yes, but gosh, this would really apply itself, this practice that we did over here. And our Jewish friends might say, yes, but this practice would really lend itself if we do that. So all of this is going on. And so Paul writes this letter. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are heavy, as we talked about a few weeks ago, in doctrine, in theology, And a lot of our big fancy words of faith that we throw around like justification and righteousness, all rooted in Christ, it's the first 11 chapters. And when we pick up in chapter 12, there's a pivot. Listen again. I appeal to you, therefore, therefore is that pivot. So it's to say you've just heard the 11 prior chapters of what I have laid out. Because of all of that good news, because of all of that, that I have just told you what God has done for you through Christ, therefore do this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. One of my favorite passages, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Why? So we can discern what the will of God is. Don't we want that? To know what God wills for us? So give your body as a living sacrifice. Here I am. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means that everything that you are whether that is mental or physical, is given to God as a sacrifice from God who gave it to us in the first place. It almost goes back almost into the same phrasing as Deuteronomy 4, 6 through 9, which is the Shema that tells us to love our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, mind, strength, soul, might, Paul is saying the same thing. With all that you are, your body, your physicality, the way that you live your tangible life, we can touch our hands and our hands do God's work, or do they? We give that to God. And then be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's kind of fun. Who doesn't want renewal? Who doesn't want to be transformed? Well, maybe us. But when you look at the full body and you look at full mind, it is Paul saying, give yourselves fully to God. Give all that you are to God. 
and nothing new. He knew his scriptures. He knew Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. He knew the Shema. He knew this was sacrificial territory. So why do we have to give? Why do we have to give up? What is this about today? Well, it is about stewardship. But stewardship isn't just money, although certainly it includes it. Stewardship equals discipleship. Because in our stewardship, we are giving back what God has given us, or we are saying thanks and living our lives in gratitude for what God has given us. What has God given me, preacher? Well, let's hit some of the biggies. How about creation of heaven and earth? That's a big one. How about creation of you and me throughout the history of the world from day one to this point? Plants, trees, air, sea, animals, everything. That is creator God. God creates every day, every morning. This morning I had to scrape the ice off my windshield. First time this year. The seasons change. Another reminder that this is God's world and God is in charge. And we give thanks for that because we are a part of that creation. God doesn't create willy-nilly. God creates with a purpose and a plan and an attachment and a relationship. If God created you, then God has a plan for you. And that should be great news. Our Redeemer... That is Christ. We went through this in our confession and assurance of pardon. What were the biggies that we couldn't do on our own? Sin and death. How do we do anything about that? Well, we can't. Remember the call of Isaiah? He said, I've, I'm a miserable sinner among more miserable sinners. And God sent that seraph with a little hot coal to touch on his lips, to purify him, and it said to forgive him of his sins. So I'd like to ask the ushers to please come forward with our hot coals. We will prevent, per, no, we don't need that. What's the equal of that? It is Christ. Christ came so that we too can be forgiven. Isaiah said, I don't want to do it. I'm just a miserable sinner like the rest of them. He said, go to Jeremiah. Let him do it. Jeremiah said, I'm just a youth. I'm just a kid. Don't talk to me. Go back to Isaiah. God says, stop it. Listen to me. Many of our major figures in the Bible didn't want to respond to God's call because they didn't think they were whatever enough. We're the same way still. The same way. All of those prophets had gifts, but all of them had doubts and fears. And their interaction with God overcame that fear so that they would have the faith, they would have the courage to stand up and proclaim the glory of God. All of us have gifts. Vicki talked a little bit about that this morning. Given to us so that we can use. But what happens is I often think we hit autopilot in our spiritual journey and we just want to kind of cruise. If y'all have seen the stories as I have the last few weeks and months, 
You'll see the people who are driving Teslas with the autopilot feature. There have been several wrecks. One of them in Nash County, North Carolina. Apparently, he was watching a movie on his phone while the car was driving. Who do you think he crashes into? Sheriff. Sheriff was already on the side of a road for another incident, and here it comes, boom. Everybody was okay, no further damage as far as human life lost, no injuries. And there was another one where in California, there was a man who was riding in the back seat, fully disconnected from the car completely, and he hit a police vehicle. Hmm. He was detained at a night in prison. They impounded his car, and he went when he got out and bought another one and did the same thing again. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they want to be on autopilot? Because at this point, that's cool. That's cutting edge. We're going to get there. We're not there yet. There is, and I will admit, a certain amount of faith that goes to climbing in the backseat of your own vehicle and trusting that the knowledge and wisdom of humankind will save you and drive you. But there's also something really dumb about that too. (laughs) But when we apply that to our spiritual life, I think we often get to a point where we think we have enough figured out about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We're there, I got it enough. And so we go on autopilot. Maybe we then go to one event or two events a week at church, come to Sunday and then go home, and we kind of compartmentalize with all the other things that we do in our life. Today, Paul is challenging us, and Christ is telling us we need to come off of autopilot. We need to fully engage our faith because we are not a people meant to just cruise down the road of our faith. We are a people who are being called to grow, people who are called to respond and take charge of that journey with the gifts that God has given us. And you may not know that you have gifts or you may be hiding with the gifts that you have because you don't want to be your cover blown because then the church will know. What do you mean you play the bagpipes and you didn't tell us? Well, guess what? Next week in worship, how about you play the bagpipes? Yeah, that's a little extreme. But it's the same thing. We often don't want people to know our gifts because then we know they're going to ask, and especially at church. But giving ourselves as a sacrifice all of who we are, all of what we have to further the work and ministry of Jesus Christ in this church and therefore into the world is what we are being called to do and we cannot do that on autopilot. We must claim the gifts that we are given and even the smallest jobs as Vicky talked about matter. Even though we think we're doing inconsequential work for Christ, it matters. Two churches ago, I was at a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, at Memorial Presbyterian Church. I was the associate pastor for youth and their families. We were on an Appalachian service project trip, which is a, a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Great ministry, and they run throughout the year. They do all different age groups. 
but they take you to different parts of Appalachia, and you mostly work on home repair while you were getting to know the family of the home that you were helping with. Well, this was the first trip. I, I wound up taking six or seven of those trips. This was the first one. It was a, a beautiful little wooden structure, a young family with three kids, young kids, and their water pipe had frozen and broken the prior year. So they went through that cold Appalachian winter with no running water. So one of the orders of business, along many other things that week, and you work, this isn't, you know, unskilled labor. We are making structural changes to this home. And you, you work during the day, and then at night, it's run by college students. We're usually at a local elementary school, sleeping on their gym, being fed out of their kitchen. And then they do education about the region, about um, um, uh, roots of poverty, um, and other things that impact who the people are that we are serving. Great, great ministry. So that water line, first day I take it on. It has to be buried three feet deep, a hundred feet wide. Three feet deep was code, a hundred feet wide so that when the cold mountain winter comes again, it's not going to freeze their main water pipe and disrupt their water. So the first day, I'm pickaxing, going at it like a champ. Second day, I'm pickaxing. Third day, and I'm watching all the wearing little groups doing different projects. Oh, they got the sink in, yay. They celebrate, yay. Oh, they got the floor done. Oh, they put the siding up. Oh, they fixed the hole in the roof. Ah, and I'm pickaxing. And I was standing there frustrated watching another group celebrate another completion of another smaller project when one of the other adult volunteers comes up and he says, you are digging a trench for the glory of God. And that was powerful for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm poking at the dirt. I'm digging a hole what does that really matter long term? Well, it doesn't. But because I had sacrificed my time, my physical body in that case, my mental self in that job, I was giving directly to God and those people, that family benefited from my sacrifice as well as everybody else in that group. No matter what your gifts and skills are, you may think it's mundane. You may think it's not that helpful to the life of the church. But when we all have a job, think of all that we do and can do together. Think about us. Think about then the church down the street, in the corner, and across town, and across the country, and around the world. When we are united as a body of Christ, all of us using our gifts to change the world in Christ's name. That is exciting. And that is stewardship. First and foremost, you are not giving to this church because we have to pay the light bills and we have to pay the staff. By the way, thank you for giving so that the staff can be paid and we can pay the light bills. That is down the list. Primarily, you are giving directly to God your sacrifices and the church benefits from that. Just as I was giving to God in pickaxing a hole and helping that family, the family was secondary. I was seeking to glorify God first in my gifts that I had. And then the family benefited. 
There also comes a time when we need to step out of the pride that we know often rules our life. I'd like to show you this work of art here. This is in Copenhagen, Denmark. It is called the Christus, done 150 years ago by Danish sculptor Bartel Thorvalston. As far as you know, that's the right way to say it. It is one of the world's masterpieces of sculptor's art. It is said that when the statue was first shown, there was considerable consternation among some who saw it. Something is not right. What do you, when, if you can look at that and see, I know there's a bright light there. What is a little different about this sculpture? What is Christ's face and head positioned? Looking down and hands open. Well, those who saw that at first didn't like that positioning. And so it was the artist who came back and said, you cannot see his face unless you kneel at his feet. And so it was. The statue so artfully designed that really to see, you have to kneel down to look up at Christ, not merely by walking by. And when we're on autopilot, we are walking by. If you remember Moses being called at the burning bush, he was doing his shepherd thing, and he saw the burning bush on fire yet not consumed, and he said, something's going on over here. I have to stop and turn aside to see what is going on. He could have autopiloted right past that amazing event and manifestation of God, but he didn't. He turned aside. Here, we have to kneel to be in presence of Christ, and so too, Paul is saying, we have to sacrifice ourselves fully. And that means being humble, taking ourselves off of autopilot, and using the gifts that we all have. And we all have it. Don't pretend like you don't, because I know you do. So as we consider the stewardship equals discipleship and how we are going to give back into God in this next year. Think about what we can do as a church family. Think about the amazing ministry that we participate in already, but what can we do when we all fully share, when we all fully give thanks to God for so much that God has done for us? That is between you and God and this church family benefits. And those outside, as we increase our ministry in number and depth, as we get closer to Christ, we can take that word into the streets, into the mountains, to the beach, to the hamlets around the world, and we have and we will continue with your help and response to our creator, redeemer, and sustainer God. So right here, right now, let's start again as individuals recommit your body as a living sacrifice and seek to open and renew your mind. And when we then join together as a body of Christ, we will continue to do passionate and inspired things as we grow into the call that God has laid out for First Presbyterian Church in the world. Hallelujah. Amen.